Well, thanks, church, for that uh, warm welcome this morning. It's lovely to be here again. Week seven, how you're traveling in our Romans series that we've called God's Good News. Uh, how are you going with it? Is, is it sounding like good news? Um, these are some I've noted. Um, Romans, uh, no, Romans 3.24, Jesus has dealt with the penalty of our sins. Romans 3.27, we are made right by faith in God, not by obeying the law. Romans 5.1, we've got peace with God. I'm not getting much reaction this morning, but um, I, I think this is good news. Uh, what about Romans 5.11, we've become friends with God. Imagine that, creator of the universe, and we're called friends. Romans 6.11, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Wow. That's just a few. What do you think? What do you think? That, that wasn't quite as jubilant as when Queensland won the first state of origin. Actually, that's what I was thinking just then when I heard that. But for a lot of us here, for a lot of us here, it's what floods our hearts every morning, isn't it? It, it just, we wait to that. Gratitude, thankfulness for what God's done for us, the good news. What makes the Christian faith so unique is that it makes clear that you don't become right with God, experience friendship with God um, through being a really good person, seeking to obey all the instructions about how God um, wants us to live. Not lying, not dishonouring our parents, not, not committing adultery, not cheating, getting drunk, sleeping around, ignoring the poor and a whole lot of other things. The Christian faith says that just can't be done. The most moral, the most righteous of all people, even gold star religious, falls short by a long way, a long, long way of God's glory. Humanity needs another path if, we, if we're going to be made right with God. And God provided that through the gift of his precious son. And so as we put our faith in his saving work on the cross, as we do that, we have our sins forgiven, we receive Christ's righteousness, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're set free from any doomed attempts to make ourselves right with God. But some questions often arise on the journey to faith as you're sort of heading in that direction or, or after putting your faith and trust in Jesus and they center on, well, what now is my understanding of God's laws? How do they relate to my walk with God? If we're set free from this striving to obey God's commands, can we just sort of live any way that we want to now? For others who are seeking to please God, continuing to break God's commands can be incredibly depressing. In fact, some people find the battle so great that they begin to wonder if, if they really are even a Christian or a sort of at least a half decent sort of Christian. For others, they actually make claims that they are so free from the power of sin that they always do what God wants. Sin's no longer a problem for them. Well, this morning in Romans 7, we want to grapple just a little with some of Paul's understandings about the place and the purpose of God's law in our lives. So are you ready? That's where we're going to go this morning. Chapter 7. We're going to read a fair chunk of this um, throughout um, this short sermon. Let me read from, 
first one, it says this. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is elaborating here on what he said in Romans 6 verse 14, that we are no longer under the requirements of the law, but we're now operating under the freedom of God's grace. He used the illustration of a married woman. She's bound to her husband while she's alive, but when he dies, she's free to marry again. And so as death breaks the bond between a husband and a wife, so the believer's death in Christ breaks the bond which holds us bound to the law and frees us to enter a new relationship, one that's in Jesus Christ, in him and with him. And what a different master he is. Ray Ortland illustrates the sort of difference this transfer of allegiance makes in describing life under two husbands. The husband known as Law was a good man in his way, but he did not understand our weaknesses. He came home every evening and asked, so how was your day? Did you do what I told you? Did you make the kids behave? Did you waste any time? Did you complete everything I put on your to-do list? So many demands, so many expectations. And hard as we tried, we couldn't be perfect. We could never satisfy him. We forgot things that were important to him. We let the children misbehave. We failed in other words. In other ways, it was a, it was a miserable marriage because he always pointed out our failings. And the worst of it was, he was always right. But his remedy was always the same. Do better tomorrow. We didn't because we couldn't. Mm. Then he died. Oh, praise God, he died. <laughs> praise God, he died. And we remarried a new husband full of grace whom we know as Jesus. He comes home every evening and the house is a mess. The children are being naughty. Dinner's in a bad state on the stove. Still, still, he sweeps us up into his arms and says, I love you. I chose you. I died for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
and our hearts melt. We don't understand such love. We expect him to despise us and reject us and humiliate us, but he treats us so well. We are so glad to belong to him now and forever and we long to be fully pleasing to him. That's what Colossians 1.10 says. Being married to Christ is the final answer to the question, can a Christian live as he or she chooses? And the answer is most definitely no. The, the new way of living, it's not one of fearing God, attempting to do what he says in the hope that, he, that we won't be rejected, but it's about knowing we are fully accepted in Jesus and finding that God's Holy Spirit fills us now with the longings to please Christ. It is such a different life, such a different life. But what about the laws that God has given? Does our dying to them mean that they have no value? Could these commandments be maybe detrimental to us in some way, something that we should avoid? Or as Paul now raises in Romans 7, 7, could the law be even regarded as sinful in some way? Well, let me read what Paul writes. Verse seven, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So in response to the question that Paul raised about the law being sin, he emphatically says, no way, no way. And then he shares from his own testimony some explanations why. He begins in verse seven by saying, it was the law that revealed to him that he was a sinner. All people have some idea of right and wrong. But the law of God makes clear that wrongdoing is sin against God. And that helps us to see that we are in need of someone to rescue us. Healing always begins with the diagnosis that there's a problem there. The particular law which brought home to Paul that the true state of his heart was the 10th commandment that it's a sin to covet. Now many good living people, and Paul was certainly one of them, would hold that they have actually never broken the 10 commandments. I run into people like this. I've never stolen, I've never lied, I've never murdered anyone. But the 10th commandment, it doesn't prohibit a particular outward action but it actually examines the, the inner thought life. In your mind, in your heart, have you ever lusted after things that others have? And that's the commandment which undid Paul. That's the one that did. He wasn't sin-free after all. 
Not only did the law reveal the sinfulness of his heart, but once he realized that coveting was a sin, it stirred up a whole lot more covetousness within him. And that's what always happens when the law meets sin. Any prohibition, any rule, any law, even though good of itself, has a tendency to awaken in us a desire to do the very opposite. Now, why is that so? You ever think that? Why is that so? Why is it that as soon as we are told not to do something, we want to do that very thing? Have you ever noticed that in your life? Now, I don't want to dob anybody in, in particular. don't want to dob anybody in, but I have noticed it in some of those that are around me, this very thing. Hmm. Mm. I remember the occasion, not all that long ago, when a very wise and a very loving papa was pointing out that it's not helpful to throw corn that you're supposed to be eating around the dining room. Like that. Sort of. Now, I would be thinking, well, isn't that wonderful that papa's being so wise and loving and just pointing something out that would be helpful that it's meant to go down there, not around there. <laughs> but rather than that response, it was this rather devious load up of another spoonful of corn. I saw it. <laughs> and he sprayed in the opposite direction. I let out there was a he, so we're down to four and uh, three and a half in our family, in our family now. <laughs> the girl's always good, see. No, 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 no. We're all marked by this. If you want the technical term for this human trait, it's called perversity. The desire to do something because someone said you shouldn't. And every human being, you see, has this deep desire. And we see it in children. They want to be in charge of their own destiny. They want to do their own thing. And every law that God lays down actually stirs this sort of thing up. We want to be like God, in charge of the world, in charge of us. That is the very essence of sin. We want to do things our way. God's laws helped Paul as they help us. And in time, we pray, will help our grandchildren to see the depths of the sinfulness that marks all of us, folks. Resides in every heart. The law also helped Paul to see what sin brings about. Verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. At some point in Paul's life, he was like many people whose consciences aren't troubled by their sin. They're, They're actually oblivious to their true position before God. But then one day... One of God's commands or something happens that brings home to them that they, that they actually don't measure up. Sin was there all the time, but it was dormant, you see. And when the commandment, don't covet, came home to Paul, it was no longer possible for him to live in the ignorance of his sin anymore. Sin suddenly it sprang to life. And he realized that he was a sinner who deservingly was condemned to die. The proud Pharisee, and there's some descriptions of this in Paul's life and other places um, of Scripture. The proud Pharisee thanking God that he wasn't like other men, boasting in his religious pedigree, his good works, persecuting the church, he saw his good works, his rightness with God, 
that suddenly died. It died. The coming of the law, it kills off the happy sinner. Did you know that? It kills it off. Those who think they're good and decent and it brings into sharp focus the appropriate consequences of sin that we deserve death. The law does not make any unfair demands. It's equitable. It's not unjust in condemning sinners. Paul is not saying here that there's anything wrong with God's, God's laws. They're holy and righteous and good. But they make sure that we know the enormity of the problem that we face. That's what it makes clear. That we are sinners, that we love to rebel, and that we deserve death. And so the conclusion Paul comes to is that the law is good, it's good, but it shows us so clearly the enormity of the problem that we face, the problems we're dealing with sin in our lives. And this is the frustration that Paul speaks of in the remaining verses of this chapter. So let me read just a section of that. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now there's a lot of controversy about these verses. It's a controversy that goes back to the early church fathers and gone right throughout. And it's whether Paul is describing here his experience as a Jewish man in a pre-Christian state trying to obey God's laws or is it his present experience as a Christian man seeking to obey God? Now, there are really weighty arguments on both sides. This is one for Dr. Um, D. Morecambe to deal with in um, Bible Overview Seminar. You can come there and get the answer to all of this. The, the, the difference between those two. But in this description of, a, of, of whether it's somebody in the pre-Christian state or the Christian state, the principle is the same. If you attempt to please God in your own strength, willing yourself to overcome evil, seeking to obey God's laws by resolutions and personal determination, you will find sin will defeat you every time and you'll end up in a state of frustration and despair. Who's not been there at some time? Who here this morning hasn't been there? You wake up in the morning and you decide that you're going to be more patient with your spouse or with your children or your grandchildren, whatever it might be, and then the afternoon... You determine on Sunday you're going to read your Bible and pray every day. You're going to be a real good Christian this week. (laughs) But you notice on Friday that you left that Bible somewhere on Tuesday and it just hasn't been there. There are so many things that we want to improve upon in our lives. Things that are a problem for us. And we think, hmm, some less alcohol this week. 
some less social media this week, less food, less smart or critical comments, more prayer, better left and right indicating in the car as I'm driving, you know, things like that, more kindness, more, more patience. But our sins are ever before us. Some become so jaded um, with their inability to change that they actually draw the conclusion that Christianity just doesn't work. They become disillusioned, they get weighed down by the tension that the battle with sin brings. Now, some stronger personalities, of course, um, they have ways of trying to deal with this. They, they can lower the standard, they can sort of by doing that, they can lessen their frustration because they can get over most of them in their own strength. They work on the principle if they can show more spiritual strength than others more diligently keep the rules and God will be pleased. But that's the approach that always leads to judging others, self-righteous pride, and, and they run into falls into sin that just show how spiritually bankrupt they still remain. That's where it lands. What's wrong with all these responses is that they, they center on us and not on God. Did you hear in these verses how many I's and me's and my's are in this description that, that Paul spoke of and he struggled with sin? Just one verse. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. One of, one of Satan's constant temptations is to deceive us into thinking that we can live God's way in our own strength. So often we're not even conscious that that's what we're doing, but your relationship with God ends up being dependent on, on your willpower and on your resources, keeping the rules, and sin wins out every single time produces spiritual disappointment, the cry of frustration and distress. Oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched woman that I am. That's what comes from our heart. Now, for some reason in this preaching series in Romans, I have landed in chapters that highlight how flawed we are as human beings. Sovereignty of God, Oversight of the senior pastor. I got Romans 2. Self-righteousness will never get you into right relationship with God. That was my first one in this series. And then I get chapter 7. Sin presents an enormous struggle for all of us, all our lives on earth. Now last time, after chapter 2, you had to wait till Pastor Andrew could give you the good news in chapter 3. And that is that Jesus has declared us righteous. He gets chapter three. I got chapter two. And I noticed something very interesting that Pastor Andrew's down to preach on Romans chapter eight, which I regard as what truly is one of the most magnificent chapters in the whole of the entire Bible. And who gets that? Pastor Andrew. <laughs> he gets the verse, you know. Eight, nine, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're not controlled. 
You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. It's going to be such a great word. It's going to be so, I can hardly, I'm excited now. In chapter 7, I'm looking forward to chapter 8. But to encourage us this morning and, and to give us a glimpse of how we're meant to live with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, I, I, I just didn't want to end on a really, you know, tough note this morning. I wanted to claim a little bit of Romans 8 sort of thing, I could suppose. Uh, although it's here in chapter 7 too as well. But I wanted to leave you with a, a visual illustration, folks, to finish with this morning. Now, I haven't got the two chairs, you know, the little rickety one, and I haven't got the massive chain um, that our senior pastor is such an expert on these things. <laughs> it's a bit more low-tech um, this morning. I've got the lectern and I've got the little table down here, okay? So it looks pretty interesting illustration, do you think so? Oh, the old founding pastor, after new tricks. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Trying to keep up with the younger men. Anyway, anyway, yeah. I want you to imagine for a moment that God has set me the challenge of jumping from where I am at this lectern here to that table over there without touching the ground, okay? That's the little Christian warrior challenge for this morning. You know how you have ninja warrior challenges? Well, this is mine. Christian warrior challenge. So, are you ready? That's, I just go jump from here to there without touching the ground. So, are you ready? Here I am. Let's see how I go. Okay. No, no, no. Thwarted by gravity. Oh, wretched man that I am. Couldn't do it, get there. I couldn't. Now, maybe if I try a running jump this time. Let me just see. Yeah. <laughs> you thought I'd almost made it, but I didn't. I didn't. Gravity again gets me. Oh, miserable man that I am. Now, I could try an even longer jump up, longer run up, I mean, for the jump. But you know where that's going to end. A workers' compensation claim. That's where it's going to end. I'll go out to early retirement. Thanks, church. Or government, whoever looks after the compensation. Yeah. Now, I could tell God this morning, I could tell him he's, what he's asking is unreasonable. I'm 65 years of age. And high jumping, as we heard in the previous sermon, is not my forte. And neither now is long jumping my forte either. I could conclude that I'll just have to live with my inability. Gravity will always get me. Oh, miserable man that I am. Or I could think this morning beyond my own capacities to the capacities of those around me. Now, where is the senior pastor this morning? Where is the lead ministry pastor of this church? Men, I need you for a moment. Come quickly. Or this sermon's going to go over time. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask for the help of these two men. Thank you, man. 
I can't claim any credit, can I? You know that, I can't. It would be so wrong to do that. Um, it's the strength of these men that I was able to defy gravity. I took hold of a strength that's greater than my own. And that's how we are now called to live as God's people in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Romans 7, 6, see it was in chapter 7. It's in chapter 8 too, but chapter 7, listen. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit and the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. There is so much good news in chapter 7. Hear this this morning. Although sin uses the law of God to condemn us, the laws of God are good. They are. And they, they help us to see our desperate state as sinners. And, and that readies us to welcome the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. The day that we put our faith in Christ, we, we died to the condemning power of the law. We got a new master one who's actually borne the consequences of our sin in his very body. We are now no longer under the condemnation of the law. We are free from that, praise God. And for the battle that we all face in continuing to struggle with the drag of, it's the drag of sin. It's the flesh within us. We have now received the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's good news, folks. Joy. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to live life. We wake up in the morning and our hearts are flooded with thankfulness every morning. As I close, I just wanted to speak very briefly to two groups of people. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you become aware that sin is the real master of your life, you just want to keep living life your way. Well, I want you to hear that Jesus died so that you don't need to die facing God's condemnation. He's ready to save you. He's ready to save you. It's hard. I hear this this morning. It is very hard to surrender your life to Christ because your sinful self says, no, do not go there. You're in charge here. Do not give control to Jesus Christ. But as I've already indicated, do you know how wonderful it is to wake up every morning knowing that God has covered every selfish act of your life, every hurtful word of your life, every shameful event, with the blood of his precious son. Do you know how wonderful that is? To wake knowing that God is your loving father, not out to condemn you, but one who delights in you as a precious son and daughter. Do you know how wonderful that is? So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and you need to have your sins forgiven, well, pray the prayer. Here's the prayer for you to pray. It's so simple. It's Jesus, I need you. I just need you. I need you. I need you. And you do need him. We all need him. That's if, you, if you've not yet entered into Christian faith. And for those that are here this morning, those who are 
in Christ. And, but, but the battle with sin, our sin, our sin, the sins of those that we love, those within our family, the effect of that upon us, the sins of those who oppose us, you know, those that are against us, all of these things in our, in our world and the battle that goes on in that space and the, and the battle to tr- keep trusting God and the battle to be faithful and the battle to keep serving and the remaining loyal. The battle to stand again and again and again and the battle to forgive again and again and again. And every other spiritual battle that we face in our wrecked world, folks, it's not, we're in between, you know that. It's in between. We're not yet in the fullness of the new life that's coming in Jesus Christ when all things are made new and sin is finally dealt with. And so the prayer for us today, it's also so simple. So what do you, what do you pray when you find yourself in that space? It's the same prayer, actually. It's, Jesus, I need you. I, I need you. I need you. It's a prayer we pray every day in one sense, I understand it. But there are moments like on a Sunday morning just like here now and sometimes there are some things that we are dealing with in the battle, some things that are hard. Well, it's moments, this is why we come to church because it's moments just like this where we say, Lord, again here this morning, you know this part of the battle that I'm dealing with, I need you, will you come and help me, Lord? And he will, folks. He, he has this unlimited strength. It's it's. It's incredible. And so this morning, as we sing a final song, if you need him in a particular situation, I just want you to take a moment to say, Lord, I I need you. I really need you, Lord. I need you. If that's for you in a particular way this morning, just take a moment to sit down where you are or kneel down in your seat or whatever, just in the middle of the song, just for a moment and say, Lord, this is it. Just know, just know, God, I am asking you. It's not just in my mind, just in my heart here, but, but in this body of mine, I'm saying, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. Come help me. Jesus is here to forgive this morning. That's, if that's what you need, you need the forgiveness of Jesus. He's here to forgive you. If you've never entered into his forgiveness, then you can receive it today. If you need it again this morning, we'll take hold of it, folks. And Jesus is here to carry us. Did you hear that? He's here to carry us this morning. And the carrying comes when I ask for the help of others. When you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. And so, Holy One, come near to us now, we pray. Remind us of how loving and kind and faithful you are, the solid rock, the foundation. The one who has been so in every generation, this is our God. And so here, Lord, on a Sunday in June, 2023, we say, Lord, we need you, Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing this final song. It's this God of ours, he's a wonderful God. And you can cry out to him this morning. If you need to do that in a particular way, you take an opportunity to make sure that God knows that that's your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you this morning. Spirit of God is so near this morning. If you just want prayer in some way at the end of our service, I really want to encourage you, particularly if you're online, make sure you reach out to Carla, your host there, or email us through to the church here as well. But just, just take hold of this opportunity this morning. You know God's been speaking. Just be prayerful this morning. Our prayer lounge up the back and down the front here as well. Do you want to pray a special blessing for those who are joining us online? We're going to wrap up our online now. But God bless you and thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. I'm just going to take a seat here for a moment. Um, church.